Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Decision Hour. I'm your host, Adam Byrne, and I got a great episode lined up for you today. We're titling this one, The Littlest Seal, and you're going to find out why here in just a moment. Recently introduced to a gentleman, uh, community hero, nation hero, uh, community hero, uh, as we like to call them here at, uh, at Heroes Media Group, um, but it reached out. Uh, got an opportunity to speak to this man, and I'm excited to bring him on uh, and talk about a, a book called The Littlest, uh, the Littlest Seal. It's a true, exciting, and highly unusual story of self-reflection by the, author, uh, by the author, former underwater demolition and SEAL team member David Brown, who defies nearly impossible odds to overcome physical and social barriers in his quest to become one of our nation's elite U.S. Navy warriors. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Mr. David Brown. How are you, sir? Great, Adam. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's dive right into this because you have such an amazing story. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I am just a regular guy <laughs> who grew up <laughs> in... Pennsylvania coal country. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I was the, I was the kid in your high school or in your grade school and everyone's grade school that looked down, that was looked down upon. You know, I'm the, I'm the kid who's when everybody's uh, five and six foot tall, I'm the guy who's three and four foot tall. So uh, right off the bat, uh, the, uh, the world was kind of looking down on me in certain aspects and, um, I decided uh, when I was very young that I wasn't going to accept what the uh, what people thought of me just because of my appearance. And so um, decided to take that challenge on and um, made, I think, pretty good decisions through my life. By the way, I love this. Love the title of your podcast, because that's what life is all about, is making good decisions. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. So, David, I, you're talking about the world looking down on you or whatnot. So the, the question that comes to mind right now is how tall are you? Uh, currently I'm five foot four. Okay. <laughs> so and, I, I uh, get it now. I get it. I, I, I get the, the, the mindset of that. So lead us to from Pennsylvania and, and wait a minute, five, five, four Navy SEAL, the be, the best of the best walk us can you kind of walk us through that process because I, I i can't imagine what that was i was i'm an army guy so don't hold that against me i wasn't i wasn't uh able to do the the i like my feet on land not so much in the water so but walk us walk us through that process of of becoming the seal and what was that like making that decision to go that direction it, it's interesting um and it's probably different than most people today because you know Navy SEALs are all over the news, everybody knows about them. And uh, but I in the late 70s and I graduated high school in 80, uh, I never even heard of a, what a UDT SEAL was until um, I, I wanted to be a diver. Um, I've been scuba diving since I was eight years old and in these extremely cold lakes in Pennsylvania. So um, and I just loved it. I so I went uh, to the Navy thinking I was going to be a diver. But then again, I did love James Bond and who doesn't. And um, <laughs> right. I 
picked up the book that they had and read about these guys, uh, underwater demolition guys and SEAL guys who jumped out of airplanes and had machine guns and blew things up. And I thought, holy mackerel, this is for me. Yeah. Right. I'm going to be I'm going to be Jacques Cousteau with a machine gun here and <laughs> and blow stuff up. And uh, and so I decide I'm going to do that. So I went to the recruiter and he just looked at me and started laughing. He said, no, 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 you can't do that. You're way too small. These guys are big muscle guys. And, um, you know, pick something that, you know, you you can do. You're not going to be able to do this. Pick something else. And uh, uh, it wasn't my it wasn't my character. Right. And, in, you know, in something in the book, I go through a lot of stories on, you know, growing up, the the, the decisions you make growing up and the influences that you have are pretty impactful as to, you know, what you're going to be as an adult. And um, some of the things I discuss go in that is, you know, nurture versus nature. You know, which one is really the thing that impacts you the most on the decisions that you're making getting into being an adult? So I decided early on um, that I had the confidence pretty much to do whatever I put my mind to. And um, so I decided I was going to be a SEAL. Folks, if you're listening to the show, that means you're already online. Go ahead and open up another browser and go check out Dave's website. It's called UDT Dave, UDTDave.com. And you can read about the book um, and kind of give you more in-depth uh, background of, of, of David. And we're going to get into that here uh, in just a little bit. Um what class? What Bud's class were you? I started in class 114. Okay. And uh, like so many guys like me got hurt. Uh, I had developed stress fractures in both of my legs oh. and uh, pulled the groin muscle just days before uh, Hell Week. Oh. So I dragged my leg over a four-mile timed run, and uh, the instructor saw I was hurt. So they... Go to sick call. You're you're done, and uh, luckily, you know I I didn't quit during that run or anything else. And uh, they said, "Look, hey, anybody can run four miles on two broken legs. I think we're going to bring you back." And so they rolled me back to one fifteen, and uh, I graduated at one fifteen. Right on. Now, how long did you? Uh, your entire Navy career was that with the with the SEAL team? Yes. And then, how long was that career? Seven years. Seven years. And I can only imagine you went all over the world. Uh, not too many places I didn't hit. Um, Asia was a place that was pretty much belonged to the West Coast. So, yeah. But every place else, uh, I think I touched down on all the, the major spots. Uh, I went through the Mediterranean, Africa, Middle East, Central and South America. What would you say as a SEAL, what was your most memorable moment? Oh, um, you know what? I the the thing that I enjoyed the most was locking out of a submarine. Um, you know, not a lot of people get to do that. Now you and say locking out of a submarine, David. Again, army guy here, so you gotta you gotta draw and picture for me. What what does that mean, locking out of a submarine? Uh so we were we were preparing to go to South America and um part of our training involved um uh, getting on a it was a decommissioned nuclear submarine. They didn't carry nuclear warheads anymore 
they converted it to be operational for special warfare for us. So um, the, we met the submarine in the middle of the Caribbean um, while it was underway. Uh, and uh, what they do is they there's a it comes up the periscope depth, right? And they open up the escape trunk where the submariners would escape if there was a problem. Instead of us escaping, we go in and out of the submarine while it's underway underwater through this escape trunk. <laughs> I can't even, I can't even fathom what that would be like. It it's it is the most it's well skydiving's fun too. Right, Gotta admit that it that. is. I've 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 done that, but I, I underwater as the submarine is going, you're like that looks cool. Let's go in there and just bloop. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's um, one thing to do it during the day. Doing it at night is even more exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um. The littlest seal is is the story about your entire Navy career, or does it does it go past the Navy as well? It, it does uh, go past the Navy. You know, it begins, and it's just as important to. The, to talk about a little bit about the, you know, the beginning, um, uh, you know, you said, go to my website, you can see that one photo there and it gets a lot of comments of me in you know, third grade where, you know, I am this little bitty thing and the rest, even compared to the girls in my class. And I was picked on, I, I was a little kid and we got, everybody picks on the little kid. And um, so my mother, I get home crying to my mother and she says, and she's Irish. So she's just fire coming out of her eyes when I tell her I'm being picked on. And she pulls me aside, puts me on her lap and says, okay, now make a fist and just, you know, punch my hand and don't let anybody pick on you. Use power right in the kisser. You just hit him right in the nose. And, uh, and so, you know, from that day, you know, basically she, she brought out this confidence in me that says, I can, I can take care of myself. I don't, it doesn't matter how big you are or what you look like, take care of yourself. And so I went to school and got in a fight and won the fight. And after that, I was like, okay, the fight for everything that you believe in and go forward with the rest of your life. I know it sounds big for just being one incident, but it really had a big impact. So on you me. you had a, you had a a solid foundation from a young age then that, that gave you that confidence to pursue it, everything forward from that point forward in your life. And that, and that was it. And so, you know, I just never after that. Of course, I've had some spectacular failures too. You know, I actually thought I could fly once, and I made cardboard wings and jumped off a wall and that was not a good idea um <laughs> you know confidence is, is only good when it's used with common sense <laughs> folks we're gonna we're gonna highlight that part right there <laughs> uh, that's great um so you spent seven years with with the teams and walk us through the next portion of your life then from there from from the navy what happened then um, it was, you know, going back to the decision, you know, I, I climbed the mountain, um, that I set for myself, the goal that I had to become a Navy SEAL. And, uh, it was, uh, at the end, I was getting up for reenlistment again. And I 
earned my degree in night school. And I had to make that decision. Do I want to spend more time with my family or was I going to deploy again? Because in the time that I was with the teams, um, I was probably home 30 days a year. Uh, so, and my daughter was just born and I needed to make a, a big decision. And that's, that's a tough decision to make sometimes when you're in those positions. I, I, sympathize with that because I was a single parent. Most people know, the listeners know about me is I was a single dad for 15 years and, and uh, in, in 2007, it was getting ready to gear up. I had volunteered to go to Afghanistan and I didn't have a family care plan in place. And it was, okay, you can either, you know, pawn your son off on, on a different family member and go on this deployment, or you could get out and be a full-time dad. And I'd like to be in a dad. And I, 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 I missed the military. I, I, I enjoyed it. I was in for nine years. But after that, it was I think it was the best decision. And I think, and David, maybe you can contest to this too. You have kids yourself. I think <clears throat> the greatest job in the world is being a father. Uh the hardest job in the world is being a father. <laughs> so, uh, um, so it, my hats off to you, and, and much respect, sir, for for making that decision. And I'm sure your family thanks you for that as uh, uh, as well. So you you get out, and I, I read in your bio that you spent some time, and I say that, <laughs> spent some time as a federal special agent. Is that Yes. Um, you know, my decision was to, I'm going to get out and wear a suit and carry a gun. Okay. And, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And <laughs> so, so what you may, you're making the transition out of the, out of the Navy. What, how did it become like, I'm going to, I'm, you know what, it, it kind of goes with the, the bond theme that you mentioned earlier. I'm going to wear a suit, carry a gun. So Who'd you go work for, and, and how did that transpire? How did that come to fruition? Um, you know, it was kind of a hand-in-glove first agency I went to, which was NCIS. At the time, it was called NIS, Naval Investigative Service, yeah. and uh, they changed the name while I was working there. But, um, you know, I knew a lot about the Navy, and um, I wanted to be in federal law enforcement. So went to uh, – I applied within, I mean, it was the fastest probably interview process they ever had. I, I interviewed within a couple of weeks, I got a phone call, report to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in the next 30 days, and boom, I was in a class. And um, interesting enough, my first duty station was Paris Island um, in Beaufort, South Carolina, where it all begins for the Marines. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, how, long, and how, how long were you down there? Uh, it was it was kind of brief. Uh, it was under two years of <clears throat> um, pretty much every kind of uh, crime you can imagine. We did general crime, homicides, drug cases. We did foreign counterintelligence work. We did uh, fraud work. And uh, I was there. I learned all the things I really needed to learn to be a good agent and decided that the fraud field uh, was the most interesting to me. It was more complex and uh, had the, I would, let's just say the smartest criminals. And uh, from there, I went to Honolulu over the, over to Pearl Harbor. 
Oh wow, that's a quite <laughs> quite quite, <laughs> quite quite a change there. Uh, yeah, it was, and it was not just the change with the type of work I was doing, uh, but with the with the culture. You know, you have a completely different culture, and, and the and the way people operate over there is is completely different than they do in South Carolina. So that was a big adjustment for me, work wise, family wise. Um, but it was very successful for me. I had some extremely uh, good cases and um, we did a lot of great work in, in, in Pearl Harbor. So did you spend the rest of your time then at Pearl Harbor as, as an, as a agent with NCIS or did you, and, and the second part of that is, was your whole time with NCIS? Um, no. And, and, you know, one of the good or bad things about the federal government, if you do a good job, what's the first thing they do? They promote you out of that job, right? <laughs> And so this guy's too uh, good. We got to put him somewhere else. <laughs> uh, that's and that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. I got the director for fraud come out to visit me, and uh, they said, "And we want you in Washington D.C." So I was transferred to D.C. for head to headquarters tour, and was working on their NCIS's environmental crimes program, putting it together. When you know, after a couple years sitting behind the desk, I was tired, and I said, "Look, I." I I need to get out in the field again. I'm anxious. And I, I went over to the Environmental Protection Agency, Criminal Investigations Division, and I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, probably one of the dirtiest parts of the country to start my uh, career doing investigating environmental crimes. Uh, yeah, uh, Missouri. I spent <laughs> I spent some time in Missouri myself, so. I, 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 so immediately because I'm, I, I like being outdoors and stuff. So this environment thing, I want to touch on this just a little bit. Environmental crimes programs. What type of, like with, with, with that job, what type of crimes were you looking at? And that, that sounds like an ignorant question, but, but, and that's not my intent, but what type of crimes were you looking at that were, are you talking like, people that were starting forest fires or were you, like what did that all entail well there's a whole group of laws that are particular to uh, prosecuting environmental crime and that means if you're dumping hazardous waste in 55 gallon drums in the mississippi for instance which was one of my cases and you are dumping some anything into a water of the united states a stream um if you are ripping asbestos out of buildings without a permit and without the proper protection for your people. There, pretty much every chemical that is made in production of something in the United States, almost every single one has a hazardous byproduct. Right. And so what companies do with those byproducts, they're supposed to dispose of them properly. Uh, and oftentimes, just like in a fraud case, money gets in the way. And they don't have the money or they don't want to spend the money to dispose of it properly. And they find a field, they find a ditch, they find a hole, just, they find a river, they find a lake, and they dump it. And if they get fined, they're, they're thinking, hell, it's cheaper just to pay the fine than it is to probably dump it by law or, or the way they're supposed to in, in, in some situations. I, I say that because I, I, I live near Three Mile Island, which you being a Pennsylvania guy know, you know, uh, down here in the southern part of the state that that uh, 
incident that happened in the early 80s uh, out here, and people still talk about it in and around the Susquehanna uh, area down here, Lancaster, York, um, Columbia area. Um, so it's, it's I don't know, I, I always find it fascinating when people say, oh, they're either doing like conservation or environmental stuff. Really, what type of environmental stuff? So you go to uh, St. Louis. How, how long were you with the uh, environmental agency? Uh, seven years. Seven years. And, yeah. And uh, the, you know, you people wonder about what, like you just asked, what type of investigations you do? Because number one, they most people never heard of it. Right. And it's a, it's a very specialized group. Um, because of the amount of training you need to do in order to uh, approach hazardous waste. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, a fraud case where you're looking through documents and boxes and this, you're going to collect evidence. It yeah. could kill you yeah. just uh, by you, collecting you should, the evidence. I'm guessing you're in MOP4, your full hazmat suits and, and, and a lot of the times in, in these situations. And, and I, I can't even imagine some of the stuff you've had to pick up or, or even found. We actually, I actually did a search warrant in level A, like you're talking about, yeah. you know, the fully encapsulated suits and a, and a scuba tank on my back. And uh, it was a styrene plant that had a spill inside and they were dumping it down the sewer, which created a giant, basically create, made the sewer system a pipe bomb um, because of the vapors that it collected. So if anybody was near it and threw a match down there, like, you know, three city blocks would have exploded. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but you're explaining this, and the first thing that pops to my head is Cousin Eddie from that uh, the uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the same. <laughs> it was kind of the same scenario. It's just that it wasn't sewage. It was, you know, a, a hazardous chemical he's putting down there. So... Um, yeah. <laughs> oh goodness folks again if you're listening to the show uh get online open up another browser go to www.udtdave.com dave what happens next after so you spent what was what uh 20 25 plus years what 20 as an agent yeah 28 years okay and and kind of fast forward towards the end of your career is that the end of the career with the environmental agency or did you switch and go elsewhere then um as before what happens when you do a good job yeah. i got promoted uh to the assistant special agent in charge for epa and then quickly i uh because some friends had moved over to another agency, I, I applied for and got the special agent in charge position for the Department of Interior's Office of Inspector General in Sacramento. And uh, that was, you know, just another one of the mountains that I needed to climb because it was a different organization. It was different work. It was a different geographic location. Um, we were, I was responsible for investigations involving the department on the West Coast, Alaska, uh, Montana, Arizona, Hawaii, all the Pacific Islands, territories, and free associated states. That's a hell of a responsibility, man. Yeah, it's a quarter of the planet. <laughs> it, oh, wow. Wow. So you're, you're in charge of all of this stuff. I want, I want to fast forward to when did the writing a book 
come to your mind? Did you just wake up one morning and you say, you know what, I've done time with the, the Navy SEALs. I've been a special agent. I did time as a special agent in, in a very in, in different agencies over a span of, of three, four decades. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book. Like how did how did did you just wake up one morning and say you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share this I'm gonna write this down? Uh, towards the end of my career, it's it, the idea came to me mainly because you know I was talking to people. Uh, my my wife is in marketing, and so we would go to these events, and people would come up to me and say, you know, what do you do? And it was just easier for me to say I was a pirate um, rather than. <laughs> <laughs> go into the things that I did because if I mentioned any of them, you know, I became the guy in the room that, you know, all of a sudden people were, were talking to me and um, I'm be honest with you, I'm an introvert. So I really didn't want any of that. And, right. But the, towards the end of my career, you know, you want to fast forward. Uh, um, I decided, and this, um, I know this is one of your questions and I don't know if you want me to cover it right now, but the, big decision in my life, probably the biggest one was the one to retire. And uh, I was a senior executive. I was at the top of the you know, federal government ladder. I could have sat on my butt for 10 years and right. just collected a really nice paycheck. But it wasn't in my personality. I needed to go on to the next thing. And that I wasn't even sure what that next thing was. But I retired and um, did a number of things with nonprofits and um, volunteer work. And then it just it, it just got to the point where we said, OK, it's time to to go ahead and, and write this book that I had in my mind for such a long time. I, I want to back up, David, real quick, that that retirement piece. Um, was it a hard decision to make or was it was it one that was lingering for a while and it was an easy decision to make for you and your family and what and what did what did your wife think about it cuz like i said you mentioned you got you got a family and whatnot. so was it was it, were you in a position of you know what i'm i'm ready to retire and move on to something else or or was it mm, did you, was there conflict there it it kind of give the listeners the what your atmosphere was like uh it was, I, um, again, reached, I reached the pinnacle of what I was always wanted to achieve as a federal employee is to be a, a senior executive. I'd been through, I can't even tell you how many weeks, months, years of training um, to do the job that I finally had. And within a year, I knew that it was time for me to move on to do, you know, to do something else. And it was it was really difficult for me to make the decision to just, you know, leave it all behind. Uh, I had a lot of conversations with my wife about it. Um, you know, how do you walk away from the position that most people would kill for? And, uh, and, but finally, I, uh, on a way, on an air airplane ride up to DC, which was a constant for me as an executive back to DC, like once a week, almost, I just decided that, you know, this is it. I walked into my boss's office, who's the chief of staff. And I surprised him. I said, I'm retiring in, in two months. And uh, he was shocked, to be honest with you. Um, 
he thought that, you know, I had, I was in the position that I wanted to be in and I was going to be there for a long time, but it was too comfortable. It was, you know, one, I heard one gentleman tell a story about why he left a job that was perfect for him. And is because, you know, I had the, I had my name on the parking space. I had my name on my desk, on my door. I drove in, it was comfortable. That that's not my lifestyle. It didn't, I needed to challenge myself to do something else. And so I needed to do it. I needed to move on. David, walk us through the, the process of writing the book. Um, you're retiring. You've had this idea to write a book. You wake up and from there, what happens? Oh my goodness. It was like trying to learn how to walk or speak. Um, it's, I'd been writing investigative reports for 28 years and uh, I started writing this and it was, it seemed like an impossible task. It, you know, I knew nothing about it. I actually wrote for months and I was lucky enough to know my co-writer who's a New York times bestseller uh, novelist, uh, Bob Getman, um, silent coup he wrote. Uh, and so he said, Hey, you know, let me help you do this. So we got together, got our thoughts together. And even then after a year of trying to put this thing together, we realized we needed professional help. And, uh, I ended up hiring a consultant who's been a phenomenal, uh, resource for me because the book world, I don't know if you know anything about it. We, we, yeah. yeah, we publish, we help people self-publish and we do audio books with, with Heroes Media Group. Um, it, it's a different, it's just a different animal in and of itself. I, I started writing a book and I still haven't finished and that was years ago. And I'm just like, well, one of these days it'll, you know, <laughs> I, I can't sit here and just, mm, I, you're right. You know, I, 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 I get it. I, I actually get what you're talking about. What did, let me ask you this, David, what was the hardest thing for you when you started writing this book? What, what did you find was the, the hardest thing? Was it putting all of the thoughts together? Was it bullet point and stuff? And like, I want this to go with here, this here. I mean, what was the hardest thing for you during this process? Oh, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a pr private guy. Yeah. Uh, again, back to the parties, you know, I was a pirate. I didn't want to talk about myself. So the hardest part when you're writing a memoir is to dig deep. Yeah. And, you know, get to the, not the things that you, that you did. Uh, you know, readers really don't want to know about things that you did. They want to, they want to know what you went through. Right. Uh, the 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 emotion, the relationships, the uh, really the difficulties that you went through. If, in, in my case, as a memoir, you know what made me tick at the time, and that's hard to grasp when you're a private person and to you know you lay yourself out on the page. Again, folks, The Littlest Seal, go to www.udtdave.com. You can find him on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn as well. And David, you, I, I got to ask the question again. I know you you kind of, you went over it, but I'm, I'm going to ask the question again. You can give the same answer or whatnot, but you're on the show, The Decision Hour. 
I got to ask because I feel like I'd be cheating everybody if I didn't. And, and like you said, we make decisions every day. And, and you, sir, have, have made a lot of decisions over the years. And, and uh, pick a time where your feet were on the line. You have to make that decision. That one decision. What is it? What's the atmosphere like? Well, I'm going to go back um, to a story that's in the book and um, one that almost uh, ended my life. Uh, I was in training. We were in San Clemente Island and we were doing what's called night surf passage in our rubber boats. I was in what's called the Smurf crew. We were the littlest guys going through training and uh, and somehow we got picked first to go out at night in the surf. Our boat was loaded with demo, 300 pounds of demo, ammo, all of it. And we were laden down with all of our gear, uh, ammunition, with no flotation other than that was deflated, you know, basically a life, inflatable life just vest that we wore. And we, we paddled out into that surf that night and we ran into the biggest monster wave that we had ever experienced. It took the boat, flipped the boat upside down. Everybody scattered and it's pitch dark. Nobody could see anything. And that boat threw me into the wet, into the surf zone. And uh, I just tumbled underwater. And, um, and as I surfaced, the next one came and hit me and pushed me back down again, again, spinning underwater. And I still remember it to this day vividly, um, complete blackness. My boots felt like they were lead cement, <laughs> cement shoes. And I just decided I wasn't going to die that day. And uh, I swam back to the surface, pulled my life vest and managed to navigate my way, getting beaten by the surf back into the, into the shoreline and, uh, survive that incident and you know if i didn't have the wherewithal underwater to to realize my situation and to just say i wasn't going to die that day um i wouldn't be talking to you right now it would be uh uh, my world wouldn't have existed anymore well i'm certainly glad that you're here with us today and i appreciate the time that you took out of your busy day to come speak with me and our listeners here on the Decision Hour, David. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great discussion, and uh, have a great one. Absolutely. Folks, that's all the time that we have today. The Littlest Seal. Go check it out. Get your copy uh, today, and uh, go to Dave's website, udtdave.com. Follow him on Facebook and LinkedIn. We'll have the uh, website and the social media uh, contacts in the show notes below. Uh, Make sure you go check out Heroes Media Group, our parent network. Uh, Check out all the great shows, content that they're doing over there. Go to heroesmediagroup.com. Until next time, you've been listening to The Decision Hour.